Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for everything you've done for us. I thank you for, again, bringing us here safely. I thank you for allowing us to live in a country where we can meet without fear of persecution. Um, Lord, um, I pray that you would show us grace and show us mercy and speak to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have your Bible, turn to Luke chapter 2. We'll pick it up in verse 22. Um, While you're making it to the Gospel of Luke, uh, one of the interesting things when you, um, in studying the Bible this week, um, as I do every week, I don't want to show up and just kind of make something up. Um, One of the things that I've noticed about the first um, few chapters in the book of Luke is that it's full of songs. Um, and you'll be reading, and then somebody will just break out in song randomly, like it was a musical. It's almost as if musicals are, are biblical and, and correct, and that somebody should take their wife to musicals. No, okay, well, I tried. <laughs> um, those of you who understood that, right on those of you who didn't wallow in your ignorance, um, Luke chapter um, 2, verse 22 says, And when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were accomplished, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it was written um, in the law, of the Lord, every male that openeth the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer sacrifice according to that which is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. The same man was just and devout, waiting for the holy consol- for the consolation of the holy waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Ghost was upon him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And it came to pass by the Spirit into the, uh, the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, then took he him up in his arms, and he blessed um, and he blessed God and said, Lord, now let us thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For my eyes have seen thy salvation. This is like Simeon's song. For my eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of of thy people Israel. And Joseph and, and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken. And Simeon blessed them and said unto Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel, and for a sign which shall be spoken against. Um, so we, first of all, we, we see Simeon's song. Um, 
Um, today we're going to focus on the man, uh, Simeon. Next week we're going to focus on Simeon's song or Simeon's message. Before we focus on Simeon, the man, I, I want us to get in our minds the context um, that the story takes place in. The setting is this, verse verses 22 and 24, it says, And when those days of her purification according to the law of Moses were accomplished, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every male that openeth the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer sacrifices according to that which is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now, what we see in verses 21 through 24, we see three ceremonies um, that every um, family had to go through when they had a child. Um, um, we see, first of all, we see the circumcision in verse 21. It says that um, every Jewish male was circumcised on the eighth day after his birth. Now, this was so important that they even allowed circumcisions on the Sabbath, which Jews um, didn't do anything unless it was an emergency. That's how important the circumcision was. Um, also, we see the ceremony, like um, they go and they pay the five shekels to redeem Jesus. Um, uh, it says that it was, a, it was a custom that every Lord, that every firstborn was um, holy unto the Lord. So what they would do is they would bring the child to the temple and they would pay the five shekels, thus redeeming the child for the purpose of God. Um, and then we see the purification sacrifice. Um, after childbirth, uh, women were considered ceremonially unclean for 40 days. We read about that in Leviticus chapter 12, verses 2 through 5. Now, after this time of separation was completed, um, they would go to the temple and offer a sacrifice. Now, we know from reading the Old Testament that the offering for pur purification was a lamb. However, if you were poor and couldn't offer a lamb, you offered um, a pigeon or a turtle dove. Now we know, again from reading this, that Mary and Joseph offered the poor offering, didn't they? Now, what does this tell us about the family of Jesus? They didn't have any money. They, they weren't rich. I think um, a lot of times um, we as humans in modern day modern day study, we, we think to ourselves, well, Jesus, he lived way back then. He doesn't know what we're going through. Well, here's the thing about people. The Bible says that there's nothing new under the sun. Um, the same challenges that you face are the same challenges that Jesus faced when he was growing up. Um, his family didn't have any money. Now, William Barclay notes, it says, it was... Um, it was unto an ordinary home that Jesus was born, a home where there were no luxuries, a home where every penny had to be looked at twice, a home where the members of the family knew all about the difficulty of making a living and the haunting insecurities of life. Where life, when life is worrying for us, he says, when life is worrying for us, we must remember that Jesus knew what the difficulties of making ends meet can be. How many of you, um, you've had, you've been a, there's been a part of your life where you've had more money, right? 
and you've had to pinch pen on pennies and you've had to scrimp and save. Jesus knew what that was, right? So they, they bring him to the temple and they all of these Luke presses all these ceremonies into kind of one paragraph, right? And and he makes the point that even though Mary and Joseph were poor, they were faithful. How many of you have allowed your financial circumstances to keep you from serving God? Um, you get mad because you don't have the amount of money that you think that you need to have, and you stop serving God. We don't see this in Jesus' family. Even though Mary and Joseph were poor, they were faithful. Even if um, Joseph and Mary didn't have um, luxuries, they still um, took the, the work of God seriously. If, if Mary and Joseph were members of Harvest Bible Church, they would have made sure that Jesus was in the nursery. Right? Um, Miss Sam would have held him and changed his diapers. Right? If, if Mary and Joseph were members of Harvest Bible Church, um, they would have been to Wednesday night Bible study and they would have made sure that Jesus were at kids' Bible study on Wednesday night with Dwayne and Joni, right? Um, if they were members of Harvest Bible Church when Jesus became older, he would have been part of the youth group. And, and let me tell you, our youth group could need a, need the Jesus, right? Hopefully he would like he like he would straighten up those rotten teenagers that we have. Um, I'm kidding, our teenagers are great. Well, some of them are. Um, now, the, now the point I'm making is Mary and Joseph were pious Jews. They did everything that God wanted a Jewish family to do. Um, they had their boy circumcised, right? They followed the law precisely, right? Joseph and Mary Paul, were, were, they were pious Jews, and they made sure that every aspect of the law was fulfilled. In fact, Luke goes on to tell us that Joseph and Mary observed the law, right? They observed the law, and they fulfilled all the aspects of the law. Now, this is worth pointing out because Paul tells us in Galatians, that Jesus was born under the law. What does that mean, that Jesus was born under the law? Well, Jesus fulfilled every aspect of the law, right? In fact, Jesus says in uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, he says, Think not that I have come to destroy the law or the prophets. I have not come to destroy, but fulfill, right? He did not, as some kings do, um, enforce the law strictly on his subjects, right? While he himself broke the law, what did he do? He fulfilled every aspect of the law, right? Jesus is a law keeper. We are all law breakers, right? Uh, we are all sinners. Jesus is perfect. He fulfilled the law perfectly. So here's the setting in which the story takes place. Joseph and Mary are going to the temple to fulfill the requirements of the law. And while they were in the temple, they come across a man named Simeon, right? Now Luke tells us that he was led by the Spirit in verse 27 to come to the temple that day. And when he sees Jesus, verse 28, he takes him in his arms. Now, What's interesting 
first of all, when, when I read this, the first thing that jumped off the page to me from this text is he doesn't ask his parents' permission. Right? Can you imagine coming with your infant baby? You're, you're coming to the temple. You're coming to church, right? And some old guy or some man that you do not know and that you've never met immediately grabs your baby and takes him in his arms. How would you feel about that? Um, <laughs> now, we, we, we are not told whether or not he asked or not if he could take this baby in his arms. Only, only that he sees Jesus and he recognizes who Jesus is by the revelation of the Holy Spirit, and then he takes him in his arms. Now, other than this, we know next to nothing about this man, Simeon. Now, some have speculated that he was a priest, but our text doesn't tell us that, right? Um, how, some have speculated, and there's a church tradition that, I, that may or may not be reliable, that he was 112 years old. But again, the Bible doesn't tell us that. He could have been a young man, right? Um, some people think um, that he was an old man because of verse 29 when he says, after seeing Jesus, Lord, now let thy servant depart in peace. Um, in other words, that sounds like something an old person would say, right? How many of you know somebody that's so old that they're just tired of everything, right? <laughs> They're just ready to just say, hey, look, Jesus, just take me home. This may have been Simeon, right? He's like, finally, I'm out of here. We don't know anything about this man, right? We don't know what his occupation was. We don't know how old he was. All we know is that God, through the Holy Spirit, spoke directly to him that he would not see death until he saw the Messiah. He comes to the temple today. We don't know if he came every day, right? We, um, it says in our text that um, he came by the Spirit. In other words, he was led by the Spirit that day to the temple. Maybe um, it had been a week since he's been to the temple. And on a random Wednesday, the Spirit told him to go to the temple. He sees Jesus, right? He recognizes who he is by revelation of the Holy Spirit, and he takes him in his arms. Um. We don't know a lot about the man, um, but this text tells us three things about his character. Right? It says that he was just and devout. It says that he was expectant. Finally, it says that he was blessed. Let's look at the first one. He was just and devout. Verse 25, it says, Behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, the same man was just and devout. Now, the phrase just and devout signifies that Simeon had a good reputation among men and that he was faithful to God. Wouldn't that be something that you would want said about you? That you had a good reputation at work and in your business dealing, right? And that you were faithful the God. So we see this man, Simeon, he was faithful to God, and he had a good reputation, 
And the Bible says that he was expectant. Verse 25 says, And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and the Holy Ghost was upon him, and he was just and devout, and it says this, and he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. Now, we know from reading history that there was a faithful remnant of believing Jews who waited for the Redeemer. Now, you might be tempted to think, didn't all Jews wait for the Redeemer? Well, it may surprise you, but there were in those days Jews who were like some modern Christians who were completely disinterested in the things of God, right? And were just going through the motions, right? This was not Simeon, right? In verse 29, we see the image of a watchman who can now rest because he has seen God's salvation. He says, Lord, now let thy servant depart in peace. Simeon was like a sentinel whose job it was to announce the prison, the, the appearance of the Savior, right? And what did he do? He watched with expectation, right? Now, with his task, he could not rest. He had to wait, and he had to watch. Now, when you think of, of a watchman or a sentinel, um, you think of someone whose job it is to wait, right? And that's what we're told that Simeon did. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. Now, before we move on, right, um, I want to pause and reflect on the word wait. Luke tells us that Simeon waited for the consolation of Israel, which means he waited for the Messiah. How many of you enjoy waiting? How many of you enjoy waiting? Nobody, right? What is it? What is it? We have to ask, what does it mean to wait? To wait means to stay in one place and remain in active expectation of something or someone, right? His hope and his prayers were directed to the future when God would send his chosen one and to usher in a new age. He waited in active expectation for a Savior. Question, what is he waiting for? He's waiting for Jesus. Now question, what are you waiting for? Are your hope and prayers directed toward the second coming of Jesus? Or is your hope and your prayer directed toward something earthly? Like an election. Sorry if that was sold. You see, there are those in the church who would caution against, you know, you know, you don't want to be so earthly, so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. Be careful. You don't want to be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. But here's the problem with the American church. We're not full of people who are so concerned with spiritual things that they don't care about earthly things. In fact, it's the exact opposite, isn't it? The American church is full of, of people who are so concerned with earthly, fleshly things that they do not care about the kingdom of God. Like, they're not waiting 
for Jesus to show up. They're waiting for the government to show up. Their, their prayers and their expectation isn't towards the second coming of Jesus, right? Their prayers and expectations are towards the second coming of a stimulus check. our current climate, we are rightfully concerned over the religious liberties that our nation has, right? We're rightfully concerned that our religious liberties will be taken away from us, right? right? There might be a day where um, the American church is driven underground. But I'm wondering, but I'm wondering if you open up your Bible, if it still has the verse that says Jesus, when Jesus says, the gates of hell shall not prevail against I'm wondering if that's still in our Bibles. Because a lot of Christians are acting like that's not in the Bible. I want you to think about that. He says, Jesus says, the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. And sometimes, like when you read the Bible, you come across something so good that if it wasn't in the Bible, you would be tempted to write it in, right? And that's one of those things. We have the promise of the eternal God that the gates of hell will not be able to prevail against us. Simeon waited for Israel's hope and Israel's consolation. Israel's hope and Israel's consolation is the Messiah Jesus. Simeon waited. Again, how many of you like waiting? How many of you, when you're a kid, your favorite part of Christmas is waiting for the adults to wake up so you can open presents? You just love that space in between the adults getting up and you getting to open presents. How many of you, your favorite part of the week is when you have to go to Walmart to buy groceries and you have to wait in that godforsaken line, right? Where there, there are employees just wandering around doing who knows what. They can open up like a register and check me out. No one likes waiting. Why? Why do we dislike waiting? Well, because waiting causes worry. When we are waiting on the Lord, we begin to wonder if we can really rely on God. See, we love to receive promises, and we love it when promises are fulfilled, but the space between is sometimes worrisome. Jesus promised that he would come back. Right? That promise will be fulfilled. Right now, however, we're living in the space between. What is it? That's sometimes that's worrisome. That sometimes that can be a weight. You look at the state of our country, and it seems like we used to know the definition of a man and a woman. And now, apparently, Oxford English Dictionary has changed the definition, right? Like, what does that tell you about our culture? We, we live in a society where um, wickedness and iniquity is celebrated 
and it breaks our hearts. And we want Jesus to come back. It's been 2,000 years. The space between the promise and the fulfillment can be excruciating. However, we know, because we have the Bible, that God always keeps his promises. Why do we hate to wait? Because waiting causes irritation and agitation. How many of you have been irritated and agitated while you were waiting? You, you wonder aloud, why can't they just hurry up? Why can't he just hurry up? But here's the thing about waiting. Here's the thing about waiting on God. Waiting gives us the opportunity to grow in our reliance on God and His Word. See, as the culture gets darker and darker, Christians will either grow in faith Trust in God, or they'll fall by the wayside. You see, some Christians have given up on God's return. Right? They're not. They're not. They're not worried. They're not hoping for it. Right? They're not longing for it. Unfortunately, expectant is the last word that you would use to describe most Christians. Why do we hate to wait? Because waiting is an indication that the world does not revolve around you. I hate to break it to you. You are not the center of the universe. Some of you are like, what? I'm not the center of the universe? It doesn't revolve around? No, it doesn't. It's just, it's crazy. Let the smallest thing not go our way and we're delayed in the slightest. And notice how we freak out as, as a society. We live in a world where everything is ours instantly, right? Which gives us the illusion that everything revolves around you. When I was a teenager, um, I grew up in church, and um, how many of you have ever had um, the experience of growing up in church and not liking church music? I, I grew up like that. I, I wanted, I liked the Christian, they had Christian rock back in my day. And if you wanted the latest DC Talk album, what you had to do is you had to get a catalog because we lived in a small town, right? That doesn't sell such things, right? You had to get a catalog, and you had to send in, and then six to eight weeks later, you would get your CD in the mail, right? And that CD cost $9,000. How many of you remember that? 
How many of you are still paying off your music club bill? But now, if I want the latest whatever album, what do I do? I just open my phone, open the music app, scroll, and it's mine instantly. Right? How many of you have ordered something from Amazon? And it's two-day shipping. And something happens, and you have to wait three days? What, happened? what do you do? My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And then what are you doing? You're praying precatory prayers over Jeff Bezos. You see, waiting is an indication that the world doesn't want to fall behind. Waiting is good. Our problem as Christians is God has not failed us. We have given up. Right? Because our hope and expectation is pointed toward worldly things, and we have not get, we have not received those worldly things, we have given up. Simeon's hope and his expectation is to see Jesus. Luke tells us that Simeon received a promise from God that he should not see death until he sees the Savior. Verse 26 says, And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord Jesus. We do not know how long Simeon waited. The Bible doesn't tell us. It only tells us that he waited. Maybe the space between the promise and the fulfillment was a week, or maybe a month, or even years, or even decades. All we know is that he waited with expectation like a watchman until he received the promise. I'm wondering today if there's anyone here today that has given up on the promise of God. Which is to say, you don't expect for God to do anything in your life or in our nation. I want to give you two things to be encouraged. Number one, I want to point you to the example of Simeon. Number two, I want to point you to the promise of Jesus. Let's look at the example of Simeon. It had been hundreds of years, and God hadn't spoken to the people of Israel, right? However, still. Simeon expected God to keep his promise. You might say, but we live in 2020, where one crazy thing happens after another, like the COVID, the quarantine, the riots. Did, did, did everybody forget about the murder hornets, by the way? That's low-key my favorite thing about the news, that I found out that there was such a thing as a murder hornet. I feel like if I was a professional wrestler, that would be my name, right? The Murder Hornets. I'd walk down the aisle with heavy music, 
Maybe like my finishing move would be like the stinger. I don't know. We'll, work, we'll get together and we'll workshop it after the service. Simeon lived in a time where infections and disease was even more deadly. Right? And believe it or not, they had riots back then. On top of all of that, Simeon's nation was occupied by Rome, which saw the Jews as inferior. But still, he waited. Now, my point in directing our attention to Simeon isn't to say, all of you cowards should be more like Simeon. That's not my point. Rather, I want to make the point that if he could do it, so can you. How do I know that? Well, we have all the same promises that he had. We have all the same promises that he had. We have the access to the Holy Spirit that he had. We serve the same God that he did. Here's the thing. God has not changed. I'm the Lord. I change not. That's his eternal promise. We have the example of Simeon. Also, we have the promise of Jesus. Jesus said that he will never leave or forsake us. Some of you probably wonder, oh yeah, that verse. It's like I see that on a postcard. That's not gonna, that doesn't comfort me. See, just because you're waiting doesn't mean that you're waiting for God. You have the promise that Jesus will stand by your side and bring us through to the other side. Right? And that we will be encouraged by him and that we will be empowered by him in the space between the promise and the fulfillment. We have that promise. How many of you I felt like you were all alone in the world. But here's the thing. Just because you feel that way doesn't mean that you are that way. Why? Because we have the promise of the abiding presence of Jesus. He says he will never leave me or forsake me. When I think of that, I think about the, you know, the, the Great Commission. He says, go, therefore, to all the nations, right? Jesus isn't a disinterested king sending out his peon subjects. But what does Jesus do? He doesn't just send us, he goes with us. Right? Jesus is right now with us in the space between the promise and the fulfillment. He's with us right here, right now. He's with you in the hardship. Right? Remember how John Newton kind of describes the Christian life. He says there are many dangers, toils, and snares, right? But here's the thing. Jesus is walking with us through those dangers and through those toils and through those snares. Right? And this promise, the promise that Jesus is with us, this promise is built on the historical and objective fact of the resurrection. How do we know that Jesus will win? Well, because he beat death.
there's, um, there are people who are, who like combat sports and always talk about, hey, did you see that one fight with Mike Tyson, how he demolished that guy? Here's the thing. Jesus kicked death in the face. And he won. And because he lives, right? Jesus said to Thomas, because I live, you will live. encourage. God doesn't promise that our lives will be easy. He does promise, however, that he will be with us in our life. Now, we've mentioned the fact that Simeon was just and devout, which meant that he had a good reputation among men and that he was faithful to God. We mentioned the fact that he was expected, which meant that he waited like a watchman with expectation on God's promise to arrive. Lastly, I want to mention the fact that he was blessed. Now, up until, up until this point in the story, God had confirmed his intention to bring the Messiah into the world through indirect means. Here's what I mean by that. Who comes to Zacharias? Well, an angel comes to Zacharias, right? So God mediates through the angel to Zacharias, right? That's an indirect message, right? Um, what does he do? He comes to um, Mary through the angel, right? Um, we see that God comes through the angel to Joseph, right? We see that the angels come to the shepherds, right? We see uh, another confirmation that, um, you know, the, the babe in um, Elizabeth's um, womb, John the Baptist, when Mary comes in, uh, John the Baptist leaps in her womb. That's like an indirect means of confirming what God had promised, right? However, Simeon receives a message directly from God. He says that the text says that the Holy Spirit revealed unto him, verse 26, that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord. Now, here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that if you wait on God, you will part the clouds. You'll have a face-to-face -face with him. I'm not saying that. I am saying that if you wait on God, you will be blessed. You will be blessed. I know um, life is not easy. I know that life can be difficult. We will be blessed. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Let's first believe that what one that He is, and that He is a rewarder of those that diligently seek Him. If we remain faithful, and if we diligently seek Him, He will reward us. We will be blessed. Please stand.